a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we have a community birth story. I love community birth stories. I love getting to know our community members better. Oftentimes, they're people I've had in class, so it's nice to dive a little bit deeper. And I also really appreciate that their stories are often unique, and yet there's still a relatable foundation that we hear from birth after birth after birth. So today, we have Maya Kao. Let me tell you a little bit about her, and then I'll tell you a little bit about her very fascinating birth. So Maya is a former professional aerial dancer and a longtime yoga practitioner. In our conversation, she talks about how, as an aerial dancer, she would dance on the side of buildings. I know. I'm fascinated. It's like Spider-Man. She is also an ADAPT certified health coach who helps her clients achieve change and growth from their place of self-love and a personal trainer specializing in mobility, pre and postnatal strength, and creative body weight movement. And most recently, she became the new mama to baby Lucas. It was a really wonderful conversation. I was just even though I'd known a little bit about her birth story, I was just taken into the story. She just tells it so beautifully that it just draws you in. And what I also appreciate about her birth story, coming from someone that had a really long birth myself, hearing her talk about her short birth and her acceptance of that was really interesting to see that perspective that we may have an idea like, oh, my birth was this way. I wish I had that. And then to hear someone say, oh, my birth was this way. I wish I had that. It was really, really interesting to understand how we all process our births. What one, what one person may think of as kind of the ideal, someone may look at as not quite what they were looking for, not quite what they had imagined. So it's really, it was a wonderful birth story and I, and just absolutely beautiful, beautiful to hear. So I'm really excited for you to hear Maya's story and Lucas's story because it was his birth, it was his birth story. Before we get to that, I just want to say thank you to our community. We have changed and evolved. So we're almost 20 years old, which 
is bonkers to me. And we're in a place that if you'd asked me when we first opened the doors, I never would have thought we'd be here. So not only do we still have our studio on the Upper West Side of New York, but since we're continuing our online classes, we have people that are tuning in from all over. And to know that the community keeps showing up and supporting each other is just amazing. It is why I continue to do what I do day in and day out, is to hear the stories, to hear the support people feel, to see that people are showing up at all times of day, because what is 10 o'clock in New York is not necessarily 10 o'clock elsewhere. So I just want to say thank you. So we're going to continue our online classes, our re-release, our on-demand, our in-person classes. And right now it's the summer, so our in the park classes in Central Park around Strawberry Fields. That means we're also continuing our online teacher training. So what we're planning on doing is having our teacher training twice a year online, twice a year in person. So if you're a yoga teacher and you want to embrace this methodology and bring it to your community, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com and you can see it's quite in depth. Um, if you listen to this podcast, you know I love data, you know I like going deep, so the teacher training is no different. So check that out. And then just two more little things. Please head to our website and grab our free downloadable, Five Simple Solutions to the Most Common Pregnancy Pains postpartum pains as well. Enjoy that. And then the last thing is please reach out if you have some podcast topics that you want to hear. I've actually been getting emails. People have been letting me know. And so now with the topics you're telling me, I am looking for the right speaker to address those topics. It's really important to me that I feel like the people I bring to have conversations have something really valuable to add. So I'm on, I'm on the research track. So you can send an email to me at deb at prenatalyogacenter.com. And you can just label it podcast topics and I'll do the best I can to address those topics and to share that. All right. So we're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, please enjoy Maya's birth story. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork baby monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Massimo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Maya. How are you? Hi. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and kind of more nervous about this than I've been about anything in a while. I'm really, really surprised by how nervous I feel. I hope to help ease your nerves because we've talked with each other. We've been in class together. So it's just think of like two friends chatting that, you know, thousands of people will listen to later. <laughs> no, no pressure. pressure. <laughs> well, that's why we have Eddie, our amazing sound engineer. So just remember that anytime something doesn't go well, Eddie can fix it. <laughs> So I'm really excited to chat with you. So let's just kind of break the ice with, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Well, I am originally from Austin, Texas, 
and have lived in New York for uh, about four and a half years. Um, I always dreamed of living here. It's like a, it's crazy that I live here. We moved here for my husband's work and I just never thought it would happen. But um, here we are. And I walk around the city in like a, in wonder, you know, every day that I, that I actually live here. It's so, it's so wild. And you were a dancer, right? Are you still our dancer? Yeah. I, uh, when I lived in Austin, I was in a very unique dance company. We danced off the sides of buildings. So <laughs> can you explain that a little more? <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the main thing we did were these annual, um, large scale shows where we repelled down buildings and danced oh on the facade. So, you know, we danced horizontally, like as though the building was our floor and, um, yeah, I did that for nine years and I taught mostly aerial fabric, um, which is like the silks. Uh, a lot of people think of like Cirque du Soleil with this kind of circus apparatus. Um, so I, I taught and performed on the silks as well as in, in a uh, rope and harness, we call it site specific aerial dance. The company's called Blue Lapis Light. They're still doing amazing stuff down in Austin and. I continued teaching and dancing, um, really until I, until COVID. Um, I, I had a, a studio that I worked out of here and a coach. I was, um, really just dancing for fun once I moved, um, to New York and started working as a personal trainer. So still, you know, in my body and working with other people's bodies, still kind of that teaching hat. Um, but it's interesting because I think having that chapter of my life, the aerial dance chapter kind of close when all the studios closed really led me to feel ready to get pregnant. I'm, I'm loving what you're saying, but I'm also still amazed. And you know, as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to look up the air, the, not just the aerial dancing that I've heard of, but the dancing off the side of a building. I'm fascinated by. I would love if you can send me some pictures. I'm going to do a deep dive, but it's just, I've never met anyone that did that. I am, as much as I'm okay with being in heights in a certain way, that would not be a height that I would be okay with. So like, I don't like bridges. I always imagine I'm going to fall off a bridge. So like the fact that you danced on a building, I know that's not what this podcast is about, but I'm just amazed. All right. So I'll pull in my, my own excitement and enthusiasm and I'll save it for later. But wow, that is pretty amazing. All right. So let's turn this back to, so COVID happened. You weren't dancing. You weren't doing personal training and you decided, okay, now's a great time. And I can see why, like, yeah, if everything, if your other avenues have closed, it would be a good time to get pregnant. So tell me a little bit about your pregnancy and then we can talk a little bit about your birth choices. Yes. Well, um, I had never planned on having children. I was one of those people who kind of said, you know, I want to be like an auntie figure. I, I started babysitting when I was in fifth grade. I, I had childcare as like my side hustle when I, the whole entire time I was dancing, my whole dance career worked with newborns through toddlers, through young children, several different families. And, um, so I felt like I had a pretty realistic grasp of just how much of a commitment it is and how much work it is and kind of felt like it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And, and then my mind was changed and I can't really describe it other than just saying, 
suddenly it was just something that was on my mind a lot and started coming up in conversations with my husband a lot. And was he surprised? Well, it, I feel like we were on a sort of similar path. Um, he was really supportive of the idea of not having children. And then he was really supportive of the idea of having children. And finally it got to the point where he was like, what else are we going to do for the next 20 years? Like, (laughs) let's do it. All right. So then tell me a little, so once you decided to that massive turnaround and decide to have kids, tell me a little bit about your pregnancy. Um, I'm very, I'm a very kind of meticulous, uh, detail oriented person. So I, I really started diving into research around even, um, preparing my body to get pregnant. And I was also, uh, in a program to become a health coach through, um, I guess sort of the second half or like the middle chunk of COVID. Um, so I decided to basically do the primestering, um, protocol more or less. It's, uh, like uh, this person named Dr. Cleopatra's kind of system of preparing the body by basically living like a pregnant person for three months and then, um, starting to try. So I was like documenting everything and, and very meticulous. And, and so I know, you know, exactly when it happened, when, um, when I got pregnant and, I loved that. I loved that feeling of like the deep dives and the research and, um, was just completely amazed by human fertility, like things I never, never knew about how to, how to chart and how to watch my body for signals. Ugh, I just, I thought that was so, so incredible. And, um, then I got pregnant and had this complete turnaround where, I completely lost interest in really doing any research about pregnancy or early childhood. I felt, you know, terrible the first trimester and was so tired and completely let go a lot of a lot of the um, nutrition and exercise that I had been doing so meticulously while I was trying to get pregnant. So that was, I, I laugh now because I, I just find that so funny that, um, this whole thing is kind of an exercise in relinquishing control. And that's one of the, one of the big reasons I wanted to get pregnant and have a baby was to, to have like this greater force kind of happen in my life and, and open myself up to that. And then, and then it happened right away. It was like, Oh yeah, all that stuff you've been doing, forget that, you know, now pregnancy comes upon you and just now it's in charge. (laughs) You aren't in charge anymore. Well, it's a great, opportunity and example of really listening to your body. We talk about that, you know, in yoga and posting it a lot about, are we, people say like, listen to your body. Are we hearing what our body's saying? You know, we might be listening, but are we actually picking up on it? And it sounds like you really, you heard and you listened and you obeyed. Your body was saying like, thank you for the knowledge in this first trimester. We just need to chillax a little. That's my kids say chillax, chillax a little bit. Yes, definitely chillaxing with haagen Ooh, that's even better. <laughs> I would like some of that. 
So tell me, how did that continue? Were there any shifts that you came out of that or did you just kind of glide through that for an embrace that your whole pregnancy? It definitely shifted. Um, and I was able to come back to some of the, some of the goals I had had in terms of nourishing myself. Um, and wonderfully, I was able to actually pick up a lot of my physical practices, which at that point, um, was a lot of handstanding. Mm. So I had been, um, working with my amazing coach. I, I, I trade with her, I train her and she trains me. Um, uh, I train, I like train her in quote unquote exercise. I always put exercise in quotes, movement, uh, personal training, and, um, she trains me in handstands. And so I started handstanding again and I handstanded until I was 20, uh, 39 weeks pregnant. Wow. It's my last handstand. How did that feel in your body? Oh, it was amazing. I, it, it blew me away that I could still do that. And then, you know, the feelings of like the change in my center of gravity and, um, you know, the increased uh, mobility that I had, it was, it was so fun to see how the practice of handstanding shifted and changed. So another kind of, um, just incredible opportunity to like listen to my body and, and be able to keep doing that. I'm and with the grateful. subtleties, it really takes a lot of proprioception to feel okay. My, the mobile, the fact that you picked up on the mobility, you know, instead of just being like, Oh, I feel loose, but to be like, wow, I'm really noticing a shift here and I have to counterbalance here. I, mm-hmm. I find that really fascinating. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. I know. And then I also know you came to yoga class. Just going to throw that in there. I know you came to yoga class, um, which was delightful. So I know, and we're going to talk about your birth story. So at what point did you decide that home birth was your, your path and what led you to that decision? Well, I was born at home. Oh, well, there you go. That's one reason. That's one reason. Yeah. My mom's, um, my understanding is that my mom's like general practitioner, when she got pregnant in the eighties, I'm her oldest daughter, uh, you know, offered home birth as an option. It was just like, Hey, and you know, you could look into home birth. And so she did, and she decided to have a home birth. Um, and yeah, I was, I was born at home. My sister was born at home four years later. And, um, so my sister also has two daughters and they were both born at home. Um, her first daughter, I was, you know, incredibly fortunate enough to be at the birth. So, uh, I guess technically I've attended three home births, my own, my sister's, which I don't remember. And my sister's first daughter. I was going to ask if you had any recall of that. Not my, no, not my sister's birth. I, I know I was there and I see, I've seen pictures. I think they tried to have me cut the cord. Um, but it was, it was too tough for me. So my dad took over, but, um, that's just the story that I've been told. Yeah. My son said he was about, was it two years, seven months when my daughter was born and we asked him if he remembers anything. And he says he remembers wanting, the birth ball that I was using, um, but I don't, <laughs> which sounds totally accurate to what he would, what he would like. I could see him coming in like, I want that. 
mommy's using it. But I don't know if he says that because we've told him that or because he actually remembers. So I'm, I'm curious, but that's interesting. So, so that was just part of your, already the fabric of your, of your idea of birth. We often talk about in our teacher training, the history that we hear about our births and our family births really paint the picture of how we foresee birth. Like my mom had very easy birth. In fact, she says I was almost born on the way to the hospital. So I have, because of that, a really positive sense of birth. And I just thought it'd be quick. It wasn't, but I thought it'd be quick. And because home birth was so in your birth culture already, it makes sense why it it seemed like a natural choice for you. Yes. Yeah. It, It wasn't really even something that I thought twice about. And I'm so fortunate that my husband was also completely on board from the beginning. Um, that's, that's really helpful, especially if family is on board with that already. So that makes sense. What led you to that? So once everyone is on board, how did you go about choosing your midwife? Well, I, I, some, I can't remember who this was, but somebody, it might've been one of the midwives we interviewed actually kind of said, you know, all the midwives in New York essentially do the same thing. They all have a very similar style. They all know each other. They all really work together as a community. From all the midwives I've met so far, that really seems to be true. And I even ran into a midwife in Beacon a few weeks ago, and she was like, oh, yeah, I know all the midwives in New York City. We all (laughs) all know each other. We all work together. And so um, I think it was this midwife told me, you know, to just basically go with my gut because the service that I received, you know, in terms of what they offered would be really similar. And so I could just trust my gut with, you know, who really resonated and felt like a good fit for me. At the time that we were interviewing, I was kind of looking for somebody with a lot of strength you know, I was kind of wanting to like be able to lean on somebody. Um, and so I found Tanya and Rabina who were working together at the time at Small Things Grow, which is now Rabina's practice. Um, and they became my midwives. I, I kind of felt, I just felt a, a, a click with them. And um, I, don't, I know, you know, uh, Tanya, I don't know if you know Rabina, but they're both, you know, very strong, yes, incredible women. Yeah, they're they're they were a wonderful team. I, were you one of their last as a as a team? Yes, that's really special. That's a really special thing. So how how you know how you prepared your body? Uh, what did you do to wrap your mind around pregnancy and prepare for birth? Well, I mentioned that I was in a health coaching program and what that means is that I was receiving a lot of coaching from my, um, from my classmates and coaching is interesting. It's, um, yeah, I think a lot of times when we think about coaching, we think of, uh, like, like a fitness coach or an athletic coach who's going to you know tell you what to do, have a plan, be an expert, but um, this kind of coaching, health coaching or life coaching, um, 
is really about conversation and really about like letting the client set the agenda and guide the conversation. So it's like the, the art of conversation, the art of listening. So I got a lot of amazing, um, guidance, wisdom, deep listening reflections back to me, um, help, you know, creating my plan and my vision for my birth and for my life after my birth through this experience, which was incredible timing. Um, for me, that meant really a lot of, um, acknowledging fear and sadness, loss, uncertainty, the flip side of being in this coaching program was that I felt like I had found my vocation, like really what I, what I want to be doing professionally at the same time, I'm getting ready to have a baby, which I know will also be kind of a, I was thinking of it as like a competing vocation, you know, that it's like, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have a baby. That's going to be this huge part of my life. And now I have this new career or calling and they're going to be, you know, in conflict with each other. And, um, my coaches, my peers were able to really hold that space for me, make space for that feeling of sadness, loss, the thing that the things that were coming, but also really helped me, um, turn that around in my mind and, and start to think about, um, how the birth could basically positively impact, um, my life and my profession, that, that it would really enhance my coaching, that it would make me a better coach, a better person. And I, uh, ended up with this, um, metaphor of Persephone. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Persephone. Mm -hmm. Um, We share it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Persephone is this daughter of, um, Demeter, who's like the earth goddess and she's this beloved daughter, but she gets kidnapped by, um, the king of the underworld, Hades. And, uh, she won't have to stay in the underworld if she hasn't eaten anything there, but she does. She ends up eating six pomegranate seeds. So the gods kind of decide that she has to stay in the underworld for six months out of the year. But when she emerges, um, her mother, this earth goddess brings spring to the world. So Persephone is the goddess of spring and she goes underground into this, you know, dark, dark experience, or that's kind of how the metaphor transformed for me, for my birth, this dark kind of unknown, and then comes out the other side. And, and there's this like flourishing and blooming and, um, spring. So that was sort of my, my metaphor for, for both the physical experience of birth, the, the fear that I had about the discomfort and pain and, and all the uncertainty, you know, that I would come out the other side and that it would, there would be this like richness and blooming and flourishing. That is beautiful. I actually just saw Hades town a couple of weeks ago. So <laughs> <Very familiar, laughs> but, but I figured we should share that story, but it's a really, it is a beautiful metaphor. So I appreciate that you share that. So we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. Let's dive into the story of your birth. We'll be right back. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, we are back. <laughs> I have to tell you, in the meantime, I'm like, note to self, let's listen to Hades Town. <laughs> I'm a musical theater person, so that just made me so happy. All right, so let's dive in to your birth. The floor is yours. <sighs> okay. Um, all right. So, uh, my baby was due on September 10th. It's we're recording this in May. So it's, he's, he's almost nine months old now. Um, my big dream for my birth was that my whole family be here. Um, as I said, I was able to be at, um, my sister's birth and I really wanted the similar, a similar experience. My sister lives in Austin. My family lives in Austin. And for that first birth, we were all there and I was just really, really blown away. And I, and I wanted that for myself as well. Um, it's interesting. You, you mentioned earlier that like our families can really set the culture, like kind of set our, our expectations. And this worked both ways for me. On the one hand, I think it really let me, um, kind of skip over a lot of the fears that people might have about home birth because I had this very tangible experience of how incredible it is. Um, but on the other hand, I, I realized I was kind of expecting my birth to look just like the birth that I had seen, um, as an adult, my sister's birth and, um, these expectations, they can be really, really tricky. I think for, for anyone going into their birth, um, Another thing that I did was, uh, learned like that from the Bradley book, you know, so like mm-hmm. the phases of labor and that's something that I was really expecting <laughs> and it didn't work out like that for me at all. <laughs> so my family did end up all being here. And of course it was, you know, the, another, uh, spike in COVID. I can't even remember which variant was sort of peaking at that time, but my husband and I were being very, very careful because, uh, we wouldn't have been able to have a home birth should we have contracted COVID. So we were isolating from my family. They were all here. So I, I think I kind of expected like, Oh, now that my family's here and ready, it's probably going to be like another two weeks, you know, before he's born. Um, so I, I was just kind of continuing on my merry way the week before my birth. I had a, a little bit of a false labor the Sunday before he was born. He was born on a Friday. And then I had really intense Braxton Hicks contractions the whole second half of my pregnancy. So I was having my Braxton Hicks contractions every day. I went and saw um, Rabina out in Brooklyn um, on Wednesday. And, you know, she, I think she said something like, I'm, I'm on call through Friday. And I think I said, okay, we're going to make this happen by Friday. 
um, I just had this sense that um, she was going to be the midwife at my birth, even though Tanya lives around the corner from me, funnily enough. So um, Friday comes around and we've, we've been isolating from my family. They all get their negative COVID tests from their travels up to New York on Friday. And so we, we finally are kind of like joyously reunited with them and, we go out for this string of um, basically food-centric <laughs> celebrations on Friday evening. Um, we had dinner, we had appetizers, then we went and had dessert. And I was I was so hungry. And you probably know where this is going, Deb, because I think this is a common story. I was like, oh, I'm still hungry. And I'm still hungry. I still am hungry. Um, and we get home after the final chapter of our reuniting um, celebrations with my family and lay down in bed for like, I don't know, five minutes and my water breaks. And I hear the pop, you know, that uh, people describe that like water kind of water balloon popping. I know what it is immediately. And I jump out of the bed because we haven't prepped the bed yet. We haven't like put the waterproof sheet on the bed. So I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) get off the mattress. So I jump out of the bed and, um, basically rush to the bathroom. And then, um, the mood has just kind of dramatically shifted. Like I immediately went from this kind of elation and celebration to, um, trepidation and fear. Like it immediately felt like very intense to me. And, and, um, I wasn't expecting my I wasn't expecting my labor to start with my water breaking because you know you you hear that that is kind of like the movie way that it happens you know so um my husband calls uh at this point like the joint number but it is Robina because she's on call and I get on the phone with her I have terrible we have a terrible reception in the bathroom I can't connect with her Mike is trying to explain what's happened but basically there's some meconium in uh, the water that's broken in the shower. So he sent her pictures. And at that point, she's still saying, um, okay, you know, try to relax. Just take it easy. Um, You know, get as comfortable as you can. And then once we're able to connect, once I'm able to move to a different position and and get on the phone with her, um, she asked me how I'm feeling. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm really scared. And I don't know how much that influenced her or, or, or that she saw the pictures and there was some meconium in the water, but she said, you know what? I'm coming, (laughs) I'm coming over. Um, and about 45 minutes later, she's here. I'm laying on the floor in the living room. Um, and I end up laying in one spot on the floor in the living room. I don't even want to change sides. Um, and my contractions are, what it feels like to me is like very rapidly getting, um, getting intense and getting closer together. So around me, my husband is furiously setting up the stage for the birth, something that we had thought that we would have a lot more time to do. Um, we thought that there would be this early labor period. Um, I thought that I was going to be able to, you know, move around a little bit and prepare things. They were things that 
my husband, Mike, didn't even know where they were. He kind of brought out these towels for me and they were like the brand new baby towels for Lucas once he was born. And I was like, no, no, not those towels. <laughs> Cause you need a lot of towels for the home birth. And we collected them, but he didn't know where they were. So, um, my sister arrives, Rubina arrives, my parents arrive. I'm still on the floor. Um, I'm still feeling, uh, feeling really nervous because I'm kind of assuming that the meconium is a really bad sign and that it might even mean a hospital transfer. Um, but the baby's heartbeat is totally strong and totally calm. And, you know, it's so reassuring to get that, to get that heartbeat check and that, Oh, the baby's still doing good. The baby's still doing good. (laughs) So, that's kind of my main memory of um, my midwife's role really was that, you know, continually needing me to change positions to check the heartbeat and that the heartbeat was just strong and calm the whole entire labor. So I labor on the floor. They do finally help me um, change over to my other side and kind of I'm rolling from one side to the other. I had at some point heard about, um, singing through contractions. And so my ritual for my, like the rhythm and ritual during my contractions is that I am kind of vocalizing in this kind of singing way. And one of my very most treasured memories of the labor was that both my sister and my husband sang with me. Oh, that's beautiful. Makes me kind of tear up to say it. It wasn't singing as a stretch. It wasn't really singing. It was like, it sounds like we say in class, we say open throat, open vagina. Exactly. Big sounds. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, um, I was very uncomfortable. It was, it was very intense. It was very scary. Um, Lucas has just woken up from his nap. I don't know if he, if you can hear. That's okay. This is his birth story. He's like, you're telling my entrance story. I'm here. Totally happy hearing him. So he, um, oh, not he, he's not, he's not quite on the scene yet. (laughs) Um, as soon as the birth pool is full, which my husband has been setting up kind of on the floor behind me, um, everyone's really encouraging me to transfer into the water and I am really resisting. I'm, you know, really stuck in this one position. Um, but I'm so glad they did finally, you know, help me move. I mean, I was laying on my side. I was propped up in every way imaginable. Like all I wanted between contractions was like the props that would help me feel a little more comfortable and a little bit of relief. I had a lot of low back, um, like intense low back crampy feeling, um, going on. And I just could not imagine like even rolling onto my hands and knees, which again, it was like, I was expecting to be like squatting, like on my hands and knees, like doing moving. And I, and I just like was completely paralyzed. So once the birth pool was full, they helped me to my feet and I had this other incredibly beautiful moment with my sister on one side of me and my husband on the other holding me, like supporting me towards the tub. And I had this incredible, like effortless contraction, like in that transition, which was, uh, it was so incredible. And then I get in the tub and 
my body starts pushing. The very first contraction in the pool was a pushing contraction. And it was, it was terrifying. It was completely terrifying. It was not at all what I had thought um, pushing would feel like. I didn't realize that um, my body would just be pushing <laughs> and I would have no warning that that was, that it was time, you know, for that. And at this point I'd only been laboring for like three hours. And so my whole, my brain, I just had, I had no idea how to settle into what was happening or what the timeline was. And if, if my, if I was pushing now, did that mean that I was going to be pushing for 12 more hours? I just, I was so lost in or, or torn, I guess, between trying to make sense of what was happening to me based on what I had learned, all this like learning I had versus like what was actually happening, <laughs> what was actually happening in my body, which was like, it's time to push. And now you are pushing. So that very intense, strong push contraction happened. And then the contraction slowed down as they do. So there was a lot more time, a lot more space between the contractions. And it was so wonderful. I mean, wonderful is a bit of a stretch. I'm very glad that I was in the tub at that point. I'm glad that I had been convinced to move to the tub, supported into the tub. And I kind of was like hanging onto the edge of, of the pool, um, just waiting and, and really afraid for these, um, for these really strong pushes that were coming. None of them ended up ever being as strong as that first one. The first one was really, uh, a lot. <laughs> Eventually my husband got in the, got in the tub with me and he was kind of holding me. I was, um, I was sidelining. I was like clinging to the edge of the pool and kind of lying on my side with my legs like wrapped around the, the, the step. There's like one step into the, into the tub. And, um, I was in that position for the next hour or so. Um, and I actually remember <laughs> Rabina had like turned her back and was kind of walking away and this, a push contraction came and his head popped out. <laughs> it was like, I mean, um, something that you, I'm sure you know about home birth is, is one of kind of the hallmarks of home birth according to my understanding and, and what I learned is, you know, there's no checks. No one's checking me. I never had any idea like how dilated I was or a face or anything like that. You know, um, I was looking for these cues for these stages of labor. They were going way faster than I thought. And, um, and then his head popped out. So yeah. <laughs> and I think, I, I think if I remember correctly, Ravina turns around and says, oh, that's the sound of a head popping out. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was certainly surprising to everyone. And she had been offering that I could reach up and check myself, like, and feel where his head was. And, um, I really wish that I had at, at the time I was, I was so afraid. I was afraid that I would feel his head, you know, almost there. And I would, was afraid that I wouldn't feel his head. And I mean, I wasn't almost there, you know? Um, so it really, I really have no idea. I was really lost in time until, um, until his head was, was born. Um, 
my husband was behind me in the tub and I immediately had to shift. That was like the first big shift of positions. And I finally was on my hands and knees. Um, there was a long, long, long pause between contractions and Lucas was twisting. He was kicking, he was squirming and it was, it was very intense. Like the, the sensation of him moving inside of me while his head was not inside anymore. I was talking to him. I was like, Oh baby, that's so uncomfortable. Oh, please don't do that baby. Oh, please stop baby. <laughs> um, and you know, I'm assuming he was, he was rotating and getting ready for the next contraction, um, which took so, so long to come. I wish I knew exactly how long it took between that, uh, the, his head being born and then, and then the rest of him was born. And Rubina was behind me with Mike, not in the pool. She was outside the pool and she was kind of coaching him to, to catch Lucas. Um, and he was like, he was really also just kind of with me. And also I think pretty lost in the experience. He was like, he was like, what, like what, what's going to happen? What should I do? So Lucas came out and, and Mike was there, but I think really Rubina like shepherded Lucas forward between my legs. He kind of swam up through the water, like really swam up through the water. His little arms and legs were like paddling and he's kind of squirming and, and like emerging up through the water towards me. And I caught him in my arms. I pulled him out of the water and this incredible sense of relief. I mean, the, the, the shift from that intense fear and discomfort and unknown to woo, like he's here and he's in my arms. And it was like an out of body experience. Um, I felt like I could jump, I could have like jumped out of the tub and run a marathon. Like I felt it was like, okay, done with that. Like now I'm, 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 I'm ready. Like I'm, I felt so sort of on fire. It was this incredibly dramatic change, um, within me that, that wasn't connected to really seeing Lucas. I was holding him and, um, he was getting rubbed, um, by Maggie, the birth assistant, who I, who I honestly don't know, like how much of the labor she was there for. I really got very little, um, connection with her because she was there. It was already so intense, but she was in front of me, like rubbing him with the towel. And, um, yeah, I, I, I can't, I don't know how to describe it other than that. Like I felt like on fire and strong and ready to like jump out of the tub and do something else. <laughs> but that we did we stayed in the tub um, and had this, this moment of, uh, it wasn't really connecting with the baby yet for me. It was really like, um, just coming out of the, the intensity and the fear of the birth. And the baby happened to be with me, happened to be on my chest and, and I was holding him and Mike was holding me and my, my whole family was there. My mom was at my side. My sister was right in front of me. My dad was kind of off to the other side. Yes. My dad was in the room the entire time. Also his, what, what his fifth home birth to witness. <laughs> um, and we, we stayed there until, uh, it was time 
for me to get out and, and prepare for the placenta to be born. That is amazing. That is so beautiful. I've been to several home births as a doula and I've been, I've had my own too. And I've been to many hospital births and there's something so powerful about what I'm hearing from you. And it's something I've seen reflected in. And that's something that's so beautiful about birth that it can really show a sense of power that one didn't know they even had within them. And it, and I've seen that it's on so many faces and it's just, it's something so many people are able to hold on to as moments in their life that are tough that you can be like, I did that. I did that. I can do this. And and I'm just in awe of hearing that from you. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. I, you had me just literally on every breath. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I think it's so important to share these stories and, um, you know, hear like a diversity of stories, which is something I really appreciate about your podcast and the community that you hold, um, you know, in your space and the prenatal yoga center. So thank you. Well now, so tell me a little bit about, so again, the birth's not over because you still have the placenta. So I want to keep going if you're okay with that. So you finally get out of the tub. Yeah. First of all, I can also, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm like, your dad was there. Wow. So that's just me. That's just my own, like, you know, we all carry our own relationships and, yeah. and visions. I'm like, wow. I'm, my dad had died years ago before, but so he wouldn't have been there. But like, just the fact that you have that relationship also is just um amazing to me. So you get out of the tub, Lucas yeah. is in your arms. Yeah. And, um, uh, the, this is, I think, where the home birth experience shines, really shines. Um, so I, um, I get out of the tub and I think, you know, it was definitely at Rubina's uh, suggestion, you know, it's okay. The placenta will be coming and it's probably, um, you probably want to have it not in the tub. Um, and, uh, I, I, I have a picture. This is like one of my favorite photos from the birth of Rabina holding the baby to my chest so that not for a single second is he not, you know, in contact with me, skin to skin with me, like as she's helping me up and over the edge of the tub and um, kind of helped me right back down to the floor where I was, um, where I was laboring before and kind of set up like a little lounge area. I'm like leaning against the wall with lots of pillows behind me and towels, um, under me. And, um, this is when Lucas finally gets passed to Papa. So Lucas is, Lucas is being held by Mike as I'm, um, getting ready to, uh, birth the placenta. And honestly, I don't even really remember, um, the birth of the placenta very well. Um, so it must've been pretty straightforward. <laughs> I, I think I had some trepidation about it, but, um, my main memory is like seeing the placenta because, um, one of the things that Rabina does is she gives you a tour of the placenta. So she really shows like where it was connected to your body and where it broke. And, you know, um, it's incredibly beautiful. It, it's so, 
it's so the color, you know, this like rich red and it's got this incredible like tree of veins on it. Um, connecting the umbilical cord. I mean, the whole thing is just incredibly beautiful. And in, in my opinion, placentas. my <laughs> husband had our da- a picture of our daughter's placenta as his screensaver for years. <laughs> I know it is people would see his phone light up and be like, what? Well, I, I think they're really cool. I think they're so cool looking, but yeah. I'm, I didn't know that I, and neither of my births are the ones I've attended. Has anyone given you a tour of it? That is I know people are listening in that right now. They're like, what are you talking about? Crazy lady. But it's not for everyone. (laughs) I recognize that you may, those said, this is not your thing. Go ahead and, you know, fast forward a little, but I think they're real. The fact that a body not just makes another person, you made an organ that was necessary to support that growing baby. And then when it wasn't needed, the body's like, okay, peace out. We're done. I don't know. There's something just so, to me, so cool about a placenta. And I'm geeking out a little right now. So thanks yeah. for going with me on that ride. Yeah. Well, I don't know um, if you heard the, I think it's on Radio Lab. There's like a whole episode about the placenta that's, that's interesting. Um, and another uh, resource, if you want a tour of the placenta, I, I, I think that um, Rubina's incredible Instagram account um, she talks about this process of like the postpartum, this, these, the things that she goes through postpartum with the birthing person, um, including the tour of the placenta. So I'm going to look at that. I'm totally, I'll make sure it's in the show notes too. If anyone wants to take that deep dive down placenta land, I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Um, so the, the, I mean, the postpartum journey is, is forever, right? I think you said like you're postpartum for the rest of your life. And, um, there are a few more elements that were, I think, interesting and also challenging that I would like to touch on if you don't mind. Um, and the first one is that I had torn, um, during the birth and I was so disappointed. I felt like really let down by my body that I had torn and, in hindsight, you know, and the reason that I really wanted to mention it is because I kind of felt like I had been set up to be, um, disappointed, you know, that like there was somehow, it was somehow better, or I would have like done birth better, or there's some sort of like competitive, um, like obviously within myself, this like competitive, um, maybe from my own movement and like dancer background that it was like, I, I, I failed in some way because I tore and needed stitches. And, um, I just like, I'm calling myself out, (laughs) you know, on that because I think, um, you know, from what I learned after and, and really a lot of the processing that I got to do with Tanya and with Rabina postpartum, another amazing perk of working with midwives, you know, they're, available and interested and, and there for you to do this kind of processing both before and after the birth. Um, but something I really needed to process was this tearing and the stitches that I had to get and how it, it wasn't because I had done anything wrong or not prepared correctly. You know, it was just the body that I had, the baby that I had and the birth that I had, that's what needed to happen. And it did happen. And for that, for the perineum to tear, you know, 
is very normal and very, um, healable, you know, uh, it didn't mean that I had, you know, done anything wrong. So that was something that was, I'm glad you said that. I'm really glad you said that. I, especially as, um, if I can reflect back on what you said, like as a body or as a, as a movement person and you work with your body there, I don't know if you heard the podcast we had, um, one of the principals, uh, principal dancers at New York city ballet, um, Megan Fairchild was on and her first birth she talked about was a cesarean. And here she says like, she was a master of her body. That was literally her instrument. And she said, and when you said this, it was immediately made me think about Megan saying the same thing is this is like, it's my instrument. And yet it didn't do what I wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. And I think in the fact that you're both saying that, and I've heard this, I'm so glad that you brought that up to recognize that while we may, this is just my interpretation. While we may be, you know, the masters of our body, there are certain things that we don't have control over. And sometimes our babies know ways they need to be born. And it's not always how, how we envision it. I have to say my pelvic floor after the birth of my kids, especially my first, it took some time to, um, to come to grips with. So thank you for sharing, for sharing that and that part about it took processing and it was, it was hard. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really resonate with that idea of, um, you know, feeling like the body has failed you. And I, I, my initial reaction to my whole birth was disappointment. I felt very disappointed that I, you know, I clearly I'd had like an early labor phase, but I didn't know it. You know, I may have been like in early labor since that false labor that I'd had like almost a week before. I I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I was so, I I was so stuck on this picture of like how it was going to look both from my reading and from having seen a very different birth with my own eyes, having been there, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was a long, it was a long birth. And I was so disappointed by my short birth. I was so, um, taken aback, uh, yeah, like acutely, acutely disappointed, which (laughs) hindsight is just like, well, what? (laughs) It's just, it's so interesting, but our, those expectations and, in a way, I think that's also like a lot of messaging from our culture is like we as humans have a natural tendency to look at the negative, you know, for our survival, for survival instinct, but also then are, you know, layered on top of that. It, it's, it's really hard to look for the positive and celebrate um, what has gone well. We tend to look for what went wrong mm-hmm. and Yeah. I think that's a probably a pretty typical reaction for yeah. many different kinds of birth. Have you, how do I say, I don't want to say come to grips, but that's not the right word. How have you, or have you embraced the birth as it was and had some closure, I guess we can say? Yeah. Um, well, so, um, the midwives kind of gave me some basic uh, lactation information. They tucked us all into bed. Lucas was born at 2.30 
2.28 a.m. on his due date, Friday, September 10th, um, I had, my water had broken at what, like 10, 10 p.m. or 10.30. He was very, he was born very quickly. And um, I don't want to skip over the part where I fell madly in love with him. <laughs> like I said, I had, you know, not really been in, I, I, he was there, you know, and I could tell he was there, but that moment of like seeing him and realizing like, oh my goodness, you know, it really, it wasn't for another, I would say maybe 12 hours, like the next day. So like waking up the next day, you know, it still hadn't really hit me, um, that he was there. Um, and maybe I'll come back to that, like big, big love. Um, but I very, very quickly had some, um, lactation issues and, uh, I ended up getting a really severe mastitis and an abscess. So to answer your question, going through something like having an abscess and having to have it be drained, um, twice, uh, and just, um, I guess maybe the much different, much more prolonged, um, struggle of this lactation journey that I ended up having really put my birth into perspective. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. So, you know, it was like the next, the next hard thing came along and, and it really, you know, even just the the idea of the body creating an abscess to basically protect itself from infection was like, oh my goodness, that is so amazing. That is so incredible. And then what ended up happening with me is that my abscess, um, it, 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 it opened, it like drained, it self-drained, even though I had had it drained twice, it ended up opening and like draining on its own. So again, it's just like, you're watching your body just do one unbelievable thing after the next, watching your, you know, your pregnant body kind of like shift and change going from this like immediate postpartum. I mean, I was the weakest I've ever been in my life. I, I couldn't get out of bed holding my baby, which for me as, um, a strong person. I don't know. It just, it was like incredibly humbling. So all these experiences really, um, shaped the way that I ended up looking back or that I, that I ended up now. I mean, of course the story's not even over. Like who knows how I'll look back at this, this whole year and that experience of my birth, but everything that's happened since has completely changed the way that I think about an experience. I, I just feel joy now thinking about um thinking about his birth. Yeah. The disappointment is is definitely gone. <laughs> oh, I love hearing that. Wow. That was a, quite a journey. And I'm so grateful you shared that. We're gonna take one more break when we come back. If you have one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer to new and expectant parents, I'd love to hear that. We'll be right back. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you now have, he's now at nine months. Is that right? Almost. Uh, almost nine yeah. months. And you've got some perspective on parenthood and you've gone through pretty amazing birth and some lactation issues. So you definitely have some ground to stand on to share. So what is coming to your mind of something you'd like to share? (sighs) Well, something that I think really, um, just completely turned the way that I've been thinking about early parenthood around um, is from Alison Gopnik. And um, she, I have the quote in front of me. I'm just going to read this quote. Please do. She said, it's hard for people in our culture to think of the values of things that are just intrinsic, that aren't in the service of something else. Like this moment with this baby right now is valuable and important and it will be valuable and important no matter what happens in the future. And she also said, being a parent is the most intellectually interesting, spiritually intense and sensually satisfying relationship that you'll ever have. And what those two quotes from her, this is from I'm a complete podcast junkie. (laughs) This is from her interview with Ezra Klein um, back when he was at Vox. What these two quotes really have offered me is essentially like embracing early parenthood as a spiritual journey um, or like a mindfulness journey. And and that means both the both the beautiful, joyful, pleasant, positive sides of a spiritual journey, as well as the the struggles and the intensity and the boredom and the tedium. Um, I've heard this idea of like the baby, the baby Zen master, that the baby's like. And now you will pace the floor 10,000 times back and forth and back and forth. And now you will bounce and this rhythm, you know, all night long, bounce, 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 you know, that you're doing these kind of tedious, boring tasks, um, you know, at the whim of the baby. And, and like within those tasks, there's this kind of like, um, subtle gift or like a hidden gift of, uh, the growth and profound, um, beauty that kind of is there, like, um, through going through that path, like with, for me, with my baby and, and being with him in those moments, like his smell and the sounds that he makes and like looking at his, the dimples on his hands and his eyelashes. Um, it is like, like she said, like the most sensually satisfying experience. Um, so to sum it all up, (laughs) like going there, you know, going there and being there in, in those moments, um, as much as possible. Mm. 
Oh, that's beautiful. I think that really helps put things into perspective. Those moments that can feel mundane can also be really satisfying. I'm going to think about that tonight during bedtime routine. <laughs> I actually, honestly, one thing I do when, when I'm feeling overwhelmed and frustrated with my kids, I reflect on like last night, my daughter was being crazy whiny. I don't know why, but I kept thinking there's a reason she's whining. She needs me and she wanted me to read to her. And as much as that's the last thing I want to do, I thought, you know, she's only going to want this for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a day not so far from now where she's like, get away from me, <laughs> like she's hitting her teenage years. So it's those little moments that, that we can embrace. And so that's what kind of popped in my mind as you were sharing that things that could be mundane, things that maybe we don't even want to be doing. We can find a, a bright moment in. Thank you, Maya. I loved hearing this story. I feel like I heard little parts, you know, because you came back from postnatal and shared a bit, but this was hearing the whole thing was beautiful. And it was an honor to see you through pregnancy and to see you on the other side and just watch you continue to grow into this role of a parent. It's It's been a pleasure and it's been an honor. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yeah, I I'm I'm so appreciative. I'm so grateful that I um found you and found again like the community that you hold. I lived around the corner from the prenatal yoga center and walked by it all the time before I was pregnant. Um and I don't live around the corner anymore, no. but um it is it was pretty fun to like be uh, very close geographically. And uh, yeah, I'm just incredibly grateful for the space um, to tell my story and um, the space that I, you know, I'm lucky enough to get to experience in person with you in class. Yay. Thank you. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.